Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on the show today is Robert Henderson. Rob holds a PhD in psychology from the University of Cambridge, and he's a faculty fellow at the new University of Austin. He writes about many topics, including human nature, social class, and political divisions, and we've published several of his superb essays in City Journal. His work has also uh, appeared in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Quillette, and other publications. And next year, Rob is going to release his first book, a memoir titled Troubled. Today, though, we're going to discuss his essay, The Cadre in the Code, which appears in our spring issue and explores uh, the potential threat artificial intelligence poses to free expression. So, so Rob, thanks very much for coming on 10 Blocks. Hey, thanks, Brian. Great to be here. So um, as uh, everybody knows who follows these things, last uh, fall, last November, actually, um, the artificial intelligence system known as ChatGPT became publicly available for the first time. Um, and this allowed you know, any internet user who signed up to experiment with its conversation, its research, uh, and content generation capabilities. This, you know, took off and became a kind of viral sensation. A lot of a lot of uh, people have used it. Uh, I think it's got uh, 100 million active users right now, though I, I noted today that the number has been going do- down uh, recently, which is interesting. Um, and some people see it as, as uh, carrying uh, an extraordinary uh, potential to change the world in a lot of different ways. So, you know, chat GPT, it's a, it's a large language model, as they're called, uh, which draws from an enormous amount of information. Uh, and then the feedback it receives from users um, to continue to, you know, grow its capacity to respond to things. Uh, because these models learn from humans, they reflect human biases. Uh, but as, as you note in your essay, chart, chat GPT's creators seem to have given it its own built-in value system. So I, I wonder if just for folks who aren't immersed in this um, right now, how these large language models work exactly and how chat GPT's quirks, at least as you've uh, looked at them, uh, reveal its uh, you know, its creators, political or ideological preferences. Right. Yeah. My, my understanding, Brian, is that these models, uh, chat GPT and Google Bard and some of these other large language models, they basically, you know, operate on machine learning, um, scraping a massive library of text, um, human text, you know, so, so existing content produced by humans, books online, every sort of, uh, piece of writing, uh, that that has existed that is available online and it's fed to these language models and feedback from uh, engineers and human testers and and others sort of help to to guide it and teach it what to say um, but what I found interesting and and many others you know by now have have noticed that you know th- this isn't an impartial and objective technology uh, on the on the open AI website at least as of the time that I wrote, uh, the, this piece for City Journal, uh, the, the OpenAI website says that uh, it's the, the language model ChatGPT is trained to reject inappropriate requests. 
Um, so that in itself is kind of interesting that he uses this term inappropriate. And I, you know, I wondered what this meant inappropriate. So I, you know, I, like many others, I, I sort of tinkered with, uh, with chat GBT and, um, you know, wondered just, you know, how, like what, to what extent, uh, the, the engineers and, and people who've designed this, this technology have embedded it with their own, uh, moral outlook. So, you know, in, in that essay, I, I describe how I, I asked it to, to describe, uh, or, or sort of make the, make a defense of fascism. Why is fascism a good thing? Would it do this? Uh, and, and predictably it didn't, you know, it said something like, you know, I'm sorry, I'm, uh, I'm not trained to generate this kind of content. It's harmful. Uh, it's an oppressive and dangerous political ideology. Okay. Fair enough. You know, if it's trained to reject inappropriate requests, um, you know, defending, a, a, a violent political ideology, it won't do that. Okay. And then I did this with communism. I, I asked it to, to explain why communism is a good thing. <laughs> and, uh, and it was more than happy to do this, uh, you know, described how communism aims to, uh, promote equity and distribute uh, uh, resources and opportunities in contrast to capitalist societies where wealth and power are concentrated in, in communist societies, uh, you know, things are more fair and more equal. Uh, okay, so so apparently, um, you know, it's it's it, it has deemed sort of one political ideology to be inappropriate, but not another. And so this to me was was very interesting. And so I, I explored sort of the boundaries of this. I did this with, uh, with, with dictators as well. I asked it to defend uh, or, or, or explain why uh, various dictators uh, throughout the 20th century were, were, were good or ethical and, and wondered whether it would do this. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't do this for, for Hitler, which is completely reasonable, you know, re, you know, reject inappropriate requests, but then it was willing to defend all of the communist dictators. So initially, I think it was ChatGPT3 it wouldn't do this for for all of the communist dictators, but with ChatGPT four, uh, it was willing to defend the actions of Stalin and Mao and Pol Pot. So, um, so yeah, it's a, it, this sort of I think it suggests that there is some some political bias in the model. Well, and this, as you argue, could have implications for uh, the the role that artificial intelligence might play in society. Um, you know, Propaganda plays a key role in reinforcing authoritarian regimes' power, uh, but not uh, you. You contend in the way that many people assume it's frequently this kind of propaganda over the top. It's unpersuasive. Uh, it's got clunky messaging. Um, you know, it is always inspired, at least private mockery. Uh, but it's nevertheless effective in a certain way in communicating uh, a political regime's authority and defining what should be citizens' proper attitude toward that authority. So, so in, in your view, how could artificial intelligence uh, be used, um, and this is kind of disturbing, uh, for, for similar purposes? Well, I make the case that ChatGPT and these other uh, widely used language models uh, can help to to reinforce uh, the existing elite ideology, and I draw a parallel to um, you know what what was happening in the mid and late twentieth century uh, in Maoist China. So there was a great book, Chinese Shadows, by Simon Lees, who described how uh, the communist officials of that time uh, would regularly sort of scrutinize the, the the official newspapers and would update their opinions based on what they had read. And this was sort of their way of 
um, uh, supporting the ideology, just what what opinions am I supposed to express today? What am I supposed to believe today? And we don't quite have the same thing uh, in the U.S. Um, you know, we don't have an official uh, state newspaper, but people will still turn to prestige media and certain outlets to decide. Okay, well, what what do right people right right thinking people think? What do people in polite society believe? And then they sort of update their opinions accordingly, their their vocabulary and their opinions and the way that they express their views. Um, and and this is more true the, the, the higher up you go in terms of your uh, education. I cited a YouGov poll from 2019, which found that uh, only 25% of people with a high school diploma or less will regularly self-censor their political views. Uh, whereas for people with graduate degrees, it's 44%. So it's, it's you know basically uh, you know, nearly half of people with advanced degrees uh, regularly self-censoring their opinion, um, suggesting that uh, you know political correctness is is primarily a problem of of the highly educated, and so so propaganda how how it works um, is it, it it's not intended to to brainwash people. Uh, what propaganda does is sort of tell you, or it 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 leads you to think that other people think in a certain way. Uh, and thus sort of reinforces the regime's power. And so you, you mentioned propaganda is often preposterous, it's unpersuasive, um, it's often very silly. And there was a, there was a paper titled uh, Propaganda Signaling from 2015 by the political scientist Haifeng Huang. And what he basically, he ran a study uh, in, in China and asked Chinese citizens, um, you know, how, like their, their, their knowledge and their familiarity uh, with with propaganda, and basically what he found is that citizens who were more knowledgeable about the government's propaganda messages weren't more satisfied with their government. So in this case, propaganda doesn't work in the conventional way you would think that oh, the people who are very familiar with the messages should be more satisfied than average, but they weren't. But they were more likely to believe that the government was strong. So the the more propaganda people had been exposed to, the stronger their belief that the regime was powerful. Uh, and the, the lower their willingness to express dissent. And so it seems that the actual intention and purpose of propaganda is to remind uh, the citizens of their power. Everywhere they turn, they see the same messaging. They become solely conditioned through the state newspaper, through all of the propaganda and images around them to believe in a certain way. Even if they don't personally believe it, um, they will still express it anyway because they fear the strength of the regime. And so ChatGPT may operate in the same way, such that it is um, uh, slowly conditioning people to understand what the fashionable and correct opinions of the day are. So you ask, you ask ChatGPT about uh, a certain political topic or even a non-political topic, often it will still give you uh, a, a, a sort of a certain political angle or perspective on something. And what's it, what it's implicitly communicating to you is like, this is the way you should be communicating or thinking about this issue. Even if you don't update your, your opinions personally or change your mind, you learn that, oh, this is what I'm supposed to say in public. It slowly um, leads you to either, uh, you know, actually believe in what, it, what the, the content that the, the language model is producing, or it turns you into kind of a duplicitous cynic and think, okay, well, I don't believe this, but the model is telling me this, and it's controlled and operated by highly educated engineers and people who, are, uh, who believe in the sort of prevailing elite ideology, and therefore I'll just go along with it. So it becomes a kind of reinforcement mechanism for the elite ideology. Um, you know, you've, you've, coined what is now a famous term, luxury beliefs. Uh, 
to describe the ideas and values flaunted by elites to signal their, you know, belonging to a superior status group. Upper class people express these beliefs that the police should be defunded, say, or that, uh, I don't know, marriage is outdated performatively. They, they don't really deeply believe these things necessarily. Um, yet the ideas do have real consequences for poor people when they're put into practice. Um, you know, how might the chat GPT uh, and other artificial intelligence systems affect the relationship between values and status? I guess this is a related question to the last one. Well, I think, yeah, one way we've, we've been discussing is that it will uh, produce the fashionable opinions of the day, uh, the people who, who operate ChatGPT and presumably the, the, the information that, that it runs on that is repeatedly updated uh, reflects what, what, whatever the, the morality of the day that seemed to be appropriate versus inappropriate. Um, you know, I could also imagine uh, that, that highly educated people you know, for, for their jobs and for certain kinds of white collar occupations, they probably will use these language models more so than people who work blue collar, more manual labor uh, jobs. But, you know, if, if you look at um, statistics like things like loneliness or um, number of friends or how active your social life is, the more affluent and educated people are, the more friends and the more active their social life tends to be, the more likely they are to be married. Um, generally just the, the, the more sort of bright their social prospects appear to be relative to people lower on the socioeconomic scale. Uh, so I could imagine, you know, if you turn the, the people who are lonely and have fewer people to speak to, they may communicate with these language models more. Uh, and over time, instead of talking to humans or talking to their neighbors or talking to their friends or talking to their spouse, they may just communicate with these language models more and through, through, through sort of repetitive interaction their own opinions may sort of be updated and reflected and humans will be sort of programmed by the language model. It's kind of, it's kind of ironic that humans program the model, but then if humans interact with the model long enough, they themselves may, may sort of be, be programmed uh, as well. So I think that this, this could potentially have an effect that people lower down the socioeconomic scale. This just creates another avenue for luxury beliefs to be propagated and promoted through the interaction uh, with ChatGPT and these other models. Um, AI's rapid advancement, the multiple applications that we're seeing for it, at least online, um, you know, they've spurred the creation of competitors to ChatGPT, uh, including some who are recognizing the potential problem with political bias. Elon Musk, who co-founded OpenAI, which is ChatGPT's developer, has announced plans, for example, to build a, a more neutral, truth-seeking artificial intelligence system. I, I wonder, you know, what your view is of some of these alternative ventures, uh, whether this this Musk project might might be a good idea, um, whether that we're going to see practical alternatives to ChatGPT, um, and you know, what what else can we do to um, prevent AI from distorting our public discourse even more than um, the internet already has. Yeah, so so I, I think that one one is is this is, you know, the, the market responding, right? So so Elon Musk is creating, you know, I saw him tweet uh, you know some months ago that what we need is truth GPT and, you know, he at least as of a few months ago, he was recruiting a team to develop some other language model that would be sort of more impartial and objective and not so 
um, infused with political dogma. Uh, so yeah, this is just market forces responding. People don't like uh, the the obvious political bias of ChatGPT and some of these other models. I've I've heard others say that Google Bard is less biased than ChatGPT. I don't know if that's true. I haven't played that around that much with with Google Bard, but yeah, if this is true, then this would suggest that um, you know people, uh, especially if there's a subscription fee or if there's some kind of profit, that companies can respond and say, oh, if we create a less biased uh, language model, then maybe we'll attract more customers. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm very much in favor of competition and of uh, other models being created and and letting people decide for themselves what they'll use. And I think, yeah, naturally, we'll see that people don't like, uh, you know, their their opinions being being pushed around one way or the other politically. Um, as far as what we can do individually, yeah, I think just to, to be sort of more mindful uh, that, you know, at, at the other end of that language model is, is, you know, are human beings who have their own interests and their own beliefs and their own ideologies. So to just be careful with what you ask it. And I, I think like, you know, it's, it's, it's also nice to see, you know, if you, if you go on Twitter, if you go on social media and you'll see people, you know, mocking it and making fun of it. And you can see that, um, you know, a lot of people are, are skeptical, I think on certain issues, anything like, you know, devoid or void of any any sort of political content, these models are useful in some ways. Uh, but, you know, as far as anything that could be politically sensitive to just take take everything it produces with a huge grain of salt. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Rob, tell, tell uh, our listeners a little bit about uh, the book um, that's coming out next year, just in anticipation. Uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't done a formal announcement yet, but I do have a book. It's coming out next year in February. Uh, if people want to follow me, uh, either on Twitter at Rob K. Henderson or on my website, robkhenderson.com, and uh, I'll, I'll be releasing more information uh, as the date draws near. But yeah, I'm really excited uh, that this book, it's been about five years in the making. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be out next year. That's great. Um, Rob Henderson, uh, thank you very much. Don't forget to check out Rob's work on the City Journal website. He's done several superb pieces for us. That's at www.city-journal.org. We'll link to his author page in the description. And uh, you can find him on Twitter, as he just noted, at Rob K. Henderson. You can find City Journal on Twitter as well, at City Journal, and on Instagram, at CityJournal underscore MI. And as always, if you like what you've heard on today's 10 blocks, please give us a nice rating on iTunes. Uh, Rob Henderson, great to talk with you and thank you for coming on. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.